podcast here at First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm the host today, guest hosting Reverend Evans McGowan, place of Reverend Mark Mares. And I'm excited to have a special guest with us today, Sarah Zalay. Zalay. So say hello, Sarah. Hello. Like Evan said, my name is Sarah Zalay. Um, and I use she, her pronouns, and I'm from Allen Park, Michigan. Grew up going to Allen Park Presbyterian Church, and I'm a senior at Michigan right now. That's so awesome to have you. I think this is our first college student. And Faith Beats is a podcast about the questions of life and rhythms of faith, community, and imagination. That's told through a narrative of storytelling, arts, spiritual practices, whatever we'd like to do. So each episode, we use a different medium take uh, various approaches about how faith intersects our lives. So I'm excited to have Sarah here today to talk about how faith intersects her interests. So you're a graduating senior this May, and what has been some of the things that have focused you in in your studies? What has ignited your passion as a student at Michigan? Absolutely. Um, So for a little bit of background, I'm majoring in organizational studies focused in multifaceted approaches to social change and positive people practices. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) That sounds awesome. Can you break that down for us a little bit? Okay. Absolutely. So the first part, which I know it's a mouthful and a long thing, and I had the chance to write it myself and still made it that long. (laughs) Um, But the multifaceted approaches to social change Um, really is rooted in understanding both how people work in a day-to-day experience in their community, how that translates to the work that policymakers do, that corporations do in their corporate giving, um, and really just all of the levers that we have to impact our society in a positive way, um, and making sure that we're doing that in a really humanizing way that honors all... um, backgrounds, perspectives, and really sees everybody as a human that they are. Um, And then the positive people practices aspect of it kind of operationalizes the social change um, and really kind of allows us to create organizations and communities that are capable of enacting social change. Very cool. So it sounds like you work with organizations to empower them to actually live out their ideals. Yes. So that's that's awesome. I mean, that sounds because organizational studies is the the framework you do that in. So I'm curious, like, what has been some of your experience in this field already, or what do you hope to do with it? Yes, I think there's so many different ways to navigate it and kind of live it out, and I think that that's one of the special things about it is that it's relevant in any space. Um, and one of the there's been quite a few experiences that have kind of led me to being able to really put it into practice um, from internships with nonprofits to government agencies to um, really, I think the most notable was in Allen Park Public Schools, so in my hometown, um, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter kind of reigniting death of and murder of George Floyd um, and realizing that I needed to do something, but that my sphere to do it in was in my own community at home, Mm. not Detroit that was 15 minutes away, not in a community that I didn't know, but really zeroing back in and recentering myself on something that I know, realizing that there was inequity, even if it was a place that treated me really, really well. And um, from there created a community organization that really just started from conversations with 
my friends, teachers, family, administrators that I already knew, already had relationships with, um, and utilizing those to create a collective idea to move forward that gave people the opportunity to engage in this work that they were passionate about and just looking for an opportunity to kind of engage in it. That's amazing. I think, you know, it's very powerful to do that at home because you already have the connections and all, but it's also got to be really challenging too. Like you said, like these are people you know and love and yet you're talking about a very challenging subject and things that it's hard to look, look in the mirror, you know? And so that must've been both rewarding, but also scary at times, challenging. Like what are, is there's like a snippet you can share or like a story of where kind of the rubber hit the road? Absolutely. Um, something that I think made it a lot easier for me to kind of push back on some of the ideas that people had, even though I cared about them a lot, was for me, my siblings are both adopted from China. Mm. And so in our predominantly white district, I was very closely experiencing the experience of somebody who wasn't white in the schools and having that be experienced by somebody that I care about so much, my younger brother and sister, that really provided the context and drive to kind of lean into those conversations, but lean into them with love, compassion, with realizing that they want to do better. They just don't know how yet. And so by each of those individual conversations, that's one step forward, even if it doesn't feel like it. Um, and there definitely were difficult conversations like our football program breeds inequity, oppression, mm. lives, mm. racism, homophobia, yeah you name it like and your brother's on the football team right yes mm -hmm. and i mean like that's been something that he's encountered as well yeah. um but also the football coach is one of my best like closest teachers from high school oh wow and i while well, i was in high school i didn't really realize that that's for sure <laughs> um different in the classroom than on the field I yeah imagine. and like i was the ideal student in his mind like oh. i was the like what my teachers wanted, I fit that mold. Mm. And that wasn't the case for a lot of other kids and they didn't have the same experience as I did. Um, and you didn't necessarily realize this till after you had graduated high school? Or? I think so. Like yeah. it really took seeing it from my siblings perspective and just seeing how they weren't given the same chance or opportunities or benefit of the doubt that they could thrive and survive. They were just written off as bad not good enough and that shapes a person's psyche and view of themselves and that's where I think it really clicked for me is that we're changing people's entire lives by not treating them as full humans and good and you are enough regardless of how you do in school regardless of what you how you act in the classroom like that's not how we should be valuing people oh amen <laughs> I, I'm struck by so much of, of what you just said and how, you know, we can have good intentions and we can be a model student and, and do all those things, but then be completely blind to someone else's experience. Yeah. And oftentimes that's not necessarily our fault. Um, you know, ignorance might not be our fault, but then what is our call? What is our duty to, to learn and to be open to other perspectives? And uh, I'm also struck by what you said in terms of, you know, you worked with you know, it sounds like a lot of great people who had a desire to be good. I mean, it's one thing if you don't have a desire. Well, I don't care about other folks and all. But I think as Christians and as people who are just trying to be good people, we want to treat people with respect and equity and 
uh, and all that. Um, but the desire is one thing. The how is another. Yeah. And I think something you've said is that desire is not enough. That no. how we do it <laughs> matters almost just as much. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there ways in which um, you think the, the church has been challenged in ways, um, either in light of George Floyd or in our past history that you've kind of noticed where, you know, our intentions are good. We desire to, to be like Jesus or to, to show love to others, but we've kind of messed up or we have some places to learn in terms of the how. I would definitely say yes to okay. that question. <laughs> um, for me, I think there's kind of two aspects to it. One, I think as a society and it's reflected in the church as well is that we are not seeing it from a systemic perspective. We're seeing it from, oh, we have these resources and this is what we can do to add to it versus looking at what we can undo and what we shouldn't be contributing to at all, kind of. Um, Because I think that that's something that I've gotten out of my college experience is understanding the way that our society is structured, the inequity that it creates, the inaccessibility of resources to a lot of people. And when you're somebody that has access to them, you are blind to it, like we were saying. Um, And I think that's somewhere that the church kind of falls into that trap a lot of times. Like it's performative Band-Aid fixes in terms of like the ministries that we do and the mission trips we do versus how are we as a community thinking about these things? How are we framing? Are we framing the population in Detroit that we're going to serve as amazing people that like are tied down by oppressive norms and policy and all those kinds of things? Or are we going to help and make it better and fix their lives for them? Um, And so I think that that's one thing that really strikes me. And then another one that even ties to like the Detroit example even is like, is it our place to be there? Do we have the solutions Mm. that they need? Do we, why are we any more qualified to give them advice and tell them what they need um, when we aren't the ones living their lives? And I feel like that ties to a lot of identity-based things too in terms of race, ability status, sexual orientation. Like we're preaching solutions to people that we don't even have their experience to base our thoughts or opinions off of, yet we're still imposing them. Wow. I, you know, it's a common thread, I think, in what you're saying is that our experience is different than someone else's. And when we preach, when we share the good news, when we, when we think we're, we have all these good things to share, but if we're doing it from our perspective without hearing theirs, without sharing their perspective, without even knowing where they're coming from or thinking that, or just assuming that, you know, they're poor, they need help, <laughs> um, without, um, thinking about where they're coming from, like, that can actually be disempowering rather yeah. than empowering and have the opposite effect. I'm thinking of, um, you know, you and I, a few years ago went to Puerto Rico and that was a different type of mission trip after the hurricane. And, um, later there was the earthquakes and things. So t- to, um, to be there and, and help that, um, you know, there's the short term mission trip, which can be a great cross-cultural experience. But what I really admire about what you've done is you've really looked at like, okay, what's my community here and how can I work from within and not just go somewhere else? I mean, it's, it's a different, it's a different type of experience. Yeah, for sure. And I think that even like with like the short term mission trips, like there's like, I feel a lot of tension within myself about them. Yeah. Like, especially when it's like, 
you need people in those positions to do the hurricane relief work that we did. And like, they just needed bodies. It didn't matter who we were. It wasn't like that we were imparting our belief system. We were just there as bodies that can do work. And like that, I feel like we didn't necessarily do harm in that community. But then I've heard other perspectives that's like, well, what about the costs? Like, what if you just invested the cost that it took to travel there and just gave them that money? What did that look like? And like, there's a lot of ethicality and different perspectives in that realm. But. Yes, flying unskilled workers <laughs> in from the mainland to an island in the Caribbean is not far the best use of money in that sense. Um, I like to think too, though, um, in terms of abundance and perhaps where the church can come in is not necessarily being efficient, mm-hmm. um, but being abundant. Right. And that, that I think there is some healthy uh, criticism and, and we do need to think critically about how often we do do international mission or any kind of mission where we're traveling. And that's not just looking at our climate impact, <laughs> <laughs> our carbon footprint, but, uh, but it's also looking at, yeah, what does that message send? Um, because once we're gone, we're gone. And we, we take that experience with us. Right. Um, what I like to think, too, is that we're also um, taking that knowledge and those relationships. And so For sure. when we meet other people in our context, we are hopefully taking a broader perspective and, and we're connecting that. But it's certainly a privilege that we have if to, and to travel anywhere. Absolutely. And even if we're volunteering our time, um, yeah, I think there's an inherent tension in that. So you've had all these experiences, both local in Puerto Rico and other places. Yes. And I'm curious now, like, what are you hoping to do with all this? You're graduating in May. You will no longer, you'll, oh, you'll always be a Wolverine, I'm sure. <laughs> but you'll no longer be a, an active student. You'll, you'll be hashtag adulting. Yeah, so, scary. <laughs> scary. <laughs> um, so so uh, what are some things that are, that are coming up on the horizon that you, you hope to do? Yes. Um, so through kind of navigating what the next chapter looks like. I've definitely considered a lot of different things and changed my mind a gazillion times. Um, but it's always definitely come back to social impact, social change, and how can we do it in a humanizing way? Um, All right, I just want to repeat that. Yeah. Social impact, social change, and how do we do it in a humanizing way? Yes. Very cool. Yes. Um, and I can actually thank Evans for kind of inspiring my oh. next step. <laughs> Um, we were talking at a retreat and just about the amazing life that he's lived and all the different things that he's done and mentioned teaching in Hawaii, um, which is a place that I love, care about, and have always really been drawn to going back to, um, but also just kind of was like, I don't need to just go work a random job there. Like I feel like there's more meaning for me to be found in whatever I end up doing. Um, and so I really felt that teaching kind of aligned with that. It gives you a space to develop your own personal philosophy about life, about change and develop it around a bunch of students who are amazing people that have a lot of ideas that aren't usually tapped into or really valued and heard. Um, and I think that 
all of the kind of things that I've taken away from my college experience are really applicable in the classroom. And so I think it kind of is a mutually beneficial thing where one, I can provide a space that is humanizing, values you, shows you that you are more than whatever grades that you are. You are more than whatever one teacher tells you you are, um, while also kind of having that space to kind of dig deeper into myself while doing that as well in a pretty cool place too. So. <laughs> yes, I did get the opportunity to live and teach on Kauai for over three years. And um, yeah, it's, it's an awesome, beautiful place, of course. And as you've already kind of learned, like there's colonialism in there. Mm -hmm. There's um, some tensions between the different ethnicities oh, yeah. there um, from the local Hawaiian population, which they estimate is about 13% um of all the islands and then really the largest group is actually not white i don't know if you realize this but 45 percent asian pacific islander in that group um so it's a very uh, eclectic uh diverse uh community and so much connection to the land through the hawaiian culture and so mm -hmm. rich um and yet there's a huge need for teachers there like there are uh, we're seeing everywhere um, but Hawaii, it's always been that way. And part of it is the pay, <laughs> but part of it is it's hard to, to, to get enough people locally in the islands. And so they do need people coming in from the outside who have a heart, uh, and, and who are willing to listen, I think, and not just show up and impart like, okay, I've got this knowledge I'm going to give to them, but really to learn, um, from the students and from the teachers and the staff, um, and that, uh, and then the challenge is really to find that work-life balance. Um, you want to give your all to your students. I definitely felt that, and uh, I miss my students there. Um, but you really do feel like you're doing some change when you're with them five days a week and seeing them grow right before your eyes. And <laughs> I taught middle school, <laughs> seeing them become little kids again and, and be so immature, but then to, to see them mature in different ways and not just uh, learning and growing, but also thinking more critically, thinking about beyond themselves and others um, and how just in a short time span that, um, that I could have an impact on their life, you know, hopefully in a positive way. Um, and that when I made mistakes and there was certainly some some maleness and some whiteness that came through my teaching that I uh, realized in uh, in teaching that, okay, I, I could do this differently. <laughs> um, I was just listening to a podcast today about uh, when we teach history, which was my subject. Um, there's kind of this old school great man theory of teaching history. Right. And we look at these great people versus kind of more of a social uh, history. And I, I was thinking about when I taught U.S. history how sometimes I fell back into that trap of focusing on the great man and, you know, the individual, you know, how this Abraham Lincoln or Thomas Jefferson or whoever. President's Day yesterday. <laughs> exactly. With President's Day yesterday, uh, this was kind of, I think this is why I was listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but how do we think about the society, the society in which we teach, the society in which we live? Um, and I say, so I'm very excited for you to to be going over there and, and really embracing that culture and it, all its beauty and, and wonder, of course, but um, but also that that aloha spirit that is is, is full of a th thankfulness and beauty 
and uh, shared respect, both for the land, for the people, and for each other. Yes, I'm equally excited, and I think that's something that we should do more over here is value the land, people, and respect, and reciprocity, and all those kinds of things, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, just thinking about First Pres and how we're trying to do that, we have a strategic plan. Uh, One of them is is about diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and so we're making various strides in that. And um, just at a recent session meeting, it was come up about how are we making sure that we have good processes in, in place um, so that we can get, get the most diverse and authentic representation um, for our leadership, um, for our community. Um, and so we have some, some places to grow in that. And um, we also have some social justice advocacy uh, things uh, getting ready for this will be uh, two years, I believe, of George awesome. Floyd's death yeah. coming up. So almost there. Yeah, almost there, and it's good to see some progress being made, but uh, we still have a long way to go. And so um, we've got three focus now: climate justice, racial awareness, and gun violence are the big three that we're focused on now. And we've got different uh, committees working on that, and it's exciting to see that. You know, you've already been doing some things and, you know, focused on where you are. And I think so often we nationalize these things. Um, but but what, are, what are ways in which we can work with our local police, local communities, um, companies, corporations, other communities of faith right here in Ann Arbor? Yeah. Um, and not just make it a, a national thing as well. That's awesome. I know it's always good to hear like this work is relevant in any corner in any organization. And if you're ignoring it, then you're ignoring a problem that is there that you just aren't seeing yet. Um, And I think that really approaching it from a holistic perspective where you realize that diversity, equity and inclusion are all separate things that all take different actions, um, but they're still so intertwined and intersectional um, to really kind of come back together to actually create the communities that we want to be living in i love that how are we creating the communities we want to live in and when we say we it's not just i you know yeah but we're thinking about that and if we're going to say we we're, we're we're asking and and um talking with those folks who have different perspectives and i love that what you said too that you know if we don't think this is an issue or if we think you know it's good as it is we're ignoring a problem. We're ignoring the fact that other people um, may not be feeling welcome, may not be fully um, empowered or included in things. And so how, how are we opening up our eyes, our hearts, our minds to do that? I think of our, our, our phrase this year has been open minds, open hearts, open arms. Um, love that. Yeah. And, and what I love about that too is that you can always open wider. hundred <laughs> percent. So finding those places of rest and encouragement, uh, for sure. But 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 that's not so that we can stay stagnant, so that we can continue to open ourselves up. Yes. Community care. <laughs> Community care. Exactly. Well, I love all this. Uh, I love where you're headed. Uh, is there <laughs> anything you. else uh, in our conversation you'd like to add as we... As you close out this this final semester and your your chapter at Michigan, just thank you for this opportunity. It's um, First Pres has been a great community to me throughout college, and I think that all of these conversations are really relevant. Um, 
and like there's so much dialogue to be had within the church community about these things even just how are we looking at them we know it's important but how are we defining these things what opportunities are there what gaps are there who do we still need to talk to to really understand the problem um and all of those questions are things that we can all reflect on individually and collectively as a community um, to really kind of take the steps forward that we want to and know that are necessary. Very cool. I love it. Well, that's all our time for today on Faith Beats. We hope that you'll join us for our upcoming episodes as we break out this new season in the spring. Um, this has been Sarah Zalay and Evans McGowan. And a special thank you to you for listening to us. Be sure to visit our site, faithbeats.com, for links and other show notes. of Faith Beats is brought to you by First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, where we aim to make God's love visible.